Today's sad sack episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor. That's the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. You can do everything on your phone. Absolutely everything. How many times do I have to keep telling you to download SeatGeek on the free SeatGeek app? Or go to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by the Ringer University Podcast. That's where you can find the Ringers Mark Titus and Tate Frazier breaking down a crazy college basketball season a couple times a week. We are headed for March Madness. We are headed for the best NBA draft of the decade. A draft that the Celtics, Sixers, Lakers, Miami Heat, a bunch of big marquee teams have picks. And this is a loaded, loaded draft. Get an edge on your buddies. Get informed. Subscribe to Ringer University right now. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com. That's where you can find my Friday mailbag column during the NFL playoffs, like the one I wrote on Friday. Follow us at Facebook.com slash Ringer. Follow us at Twitter.com slash Ringer. Subscribe to our Channel 33 podcast feed for my sports movie Hall of Fame series. Our latest one was Any Given Sunday. I'm taking over that new expansion franchise in Albuquerque. You get to hear me do Pacino imitations over and over again. Anyway. That's it. We are going to have director and my friend Peter Berg coming up later, who just directed Patriots Day. But first, the cuz. Here we go. All right, so... The Cuz is here, and it's a tradition. Every year we've had the, the BS podcast since May 2007. It's a, tra- a tradition. At some point, you give up on the Cowboys season, and you come in, and you're all sad. This year, it I'm actually happened up. right after a playoff game. Yeah, you have to give up. No, what? I do? Oh, man. <laughs> Tough one. How did, pre- I think, how did I think it was going to end any other way, though? Right? I mean... That was about as bad as it gets. That has to be how it, how it ends up. I was thinking, watching it, with Rodgers, like, oh, he's going to try to get them to the 50 to run the Hail Mary. It never occurred to me that he could just throw a 36-yard pass to an open guy for a field goal range chance. Well, here's the thing, and you labeled him a witch, and I'm convinced he is a witch right now. But yeah. um, I think he has Hail Marys all over the field. Like, it doesn't have to just be um, from the 50-yard line with six seconds left. It could be from his own 25-yard line yeah. with 12 seconds left. But And then to read today that he diagram that play in the huddle he just like really sandlotted it and told everyone what to do on this play just reminiscent of james vanderbeek at the university blues yeah, exactly after yeah. bud kilmer left they just started audibling everything everything seems fictional from that point on he's he's ridiculous you, you deserve to lose the game and here's why yeah so let me on bell how many carries did he have yesterday like 30 yeah Something like that, but mm-hmm. just was they established him early and kept going to him. I just don't understand why they didn't do that with Zeke. It was driving me crazy. Well, what, why don't you understand? Just pound the ball, with, but just do it right away. He, he should have 40 carries in that game. They're in the nickel all game. How, They're begging have, them to run. You can't have 40 carries in a game. They're losing by 18 points. He had 22 carries but in a game. But eventually they were losing, they were losing by, by 18 points. I'm saying come out of the gate. And run the ball and do your thing and yeah. control it and control your line. And That's fine. The, the first drive, they were up 3 nothing. You know, it, it was, it, they weren't that slow getting going. But I don't know. Yeah. You think Prescott comes back? If He had to get those passes out of the way where they sailed over everyone's head. I think he doesn't. For a whole half. I he thought he looked nervous. How, I many, think, how many carries does a guy have to have when he, they're down three touchdowns? I think 22 well, was about right. eventually was down three touchdowns. Well, I don't, I don't know. know. He had 11 carries at halftime. 
This is what drives me crazy, but everyone's like, Dak is the greatest, Dak's the greatest, Dak's the greatest. Why aren't we running the ball? Like, it just drives me nuts. Like, well, it I, should be a nice little mix. I think Bryant came out of that, established himself. He's like, I want he was to good. Go, I want to be one of the top five receivers again. I'm going to be a man and push everyone around. Witten had a great game. It was such a great comeback. It really was. It was. I judge everything by video games. And mm-hmm. if I have Zeke Elliott in an awesome offensive line, mm-hmm. and the other team is playing nickel, Right. I'm going to run the ball until they stop playing nickel. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care what the score is. Like, to me, they, they're just giving him seven yards of carry. That's the part. It was almost like Green Bay Jedi mind trick them. Mm-hmm. They were like, we're going to give you the nickel. Yeah. You, we, we're going to cover your guys. We're afraid of your passing game. And Dallas kind of kept doing it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they came back. He had over 300 yards passing. The one thing Eventually. I'll say is, and I'm not going to I'm not gonna cry about that Green Bay was better. They deserved to win. They outcoached us. I think like Garrett was, you know, you could have called 12 men on the field five times. How many defensively were so, so not ready for that game. You know, um, we're not prepared using timeouts. You didn't need to, but that pass interference was abysmal. That call that's when you, you can't call pass interference at the 35 when the interception is made at the 15. That's an uncatchable ball. Right. They, they point it out. They rarely point out the spot of the pass interference. This time they did. They said the 35, Heath picks it off at the 15. That's huge. That's such a no call. You make a no call there. I thought the spike was the dumbest play of the game. Yeah. I didn't understand it in the moment. You you had so much. What did you have, like 50-plus seconds mm-hmm. left at that point? It was right around 47. You're just right giving away a down for no yeah. reason. Like, why? Yeah. I didn't get that. And you, you should had know. timeout left, too. Well, that's what that's what uh, Garrett says. This is what drives me crazy about him. Like, he's like, "Yeah, we wanted to save the timeout. They never used the timeout. Right? Uh, they're wasting it down. You have to think seven there and not three. You have Rodgers with thirty seconds. You feel good leaving him thirty-five seconds I and two timeouts? I didn't feel good about it. No, I didn't either. Like that. That should be you should be going for seven the way the way we're pushing them around offensively should be going for seven. Well, my default with that uh, immediately was, who's calling? Uh, oh, this is Jason wife. Garrett. My my default immediately with that is I always go back to Super Bowl thirty six with the Rams when we had like we had like basically thirty five seconds left, something right. like that. Thirty two, mm-hmm. I can't remember what the exact number, maybe thirty three. Yeah. But you can get a any good quarterback can get forty yards and get you in the field goal sure. range with thirty three seconds and I think the, the they way have they a call out? pass interference. Yeah. yeah, sure. Why not? With that said, I go for it. What were they on their they were on their thirty five with ten seconds left? Twelve? Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. But that was that. after the sack, yeah. No, I know. I don't. Yeah. I just don't. Well, first of all, that was the lost play in this whole game. I don't understand how he doesn't fumble. How right. how big and strong do your hands have to be? He's that holding this guy's with one hitting, hand. He's holding from one hand. The guy's nailing him from yeah. behind. Yeah, Heath was just so excited, and he's the defensive player of the of the week. If they if they call that interference right, but yeah, he's holding it with one hand, and they don't get that ball. It's just insane to me. And I don't then, understand how he didn't fumble. I don't understand how he can throw across his body, moving full speed to the left. Well, it helps when you rush three, but yeah, that that it was a ridiculous. Oh, that's pass. another one. Why why not blitz? I, I'm, I'm I'm crazy about this. Is that like a top Garrett. eight bad coach move in that game? Yeah, I don't I don't like it at all. He doesn't he doesn't go for the gusto with with anything on the offense or or defensively. This is a guy who routinely punts on fourth and four from the thirty eight without <laughs> even lining up to draw him offsides. Like, I'm, I'm well, the done good news with is Zeke's going to be really fresh for the Pro Bowl. He oh, only had twenty two carries. Come on, thank you. Just pound him into the ground. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> He's unstoppable. You wanted Romo in there. He's the best there. player in the playoffs. You wanted Romo in there, didn't you? 
if Levy, <laughs> I did think about it at one point. I did think Dak looked a little. That's a, yet another reason why you maybe ride Zeke in the first half. Dak definitely looked a little like a rookie. skittish. Yeah, yeah he looked sure. like a rookie. He was, he was like, oh, holy shit, I'm in the playoffs yeah. against Aaron Rodgers. I didn't think there was any score where they would put Romo in where he'd have a chance to actually win. Like, even 21-3, I was like, nah, it's not going to happen. But let's not forget, like, Green Bay could have put him away. They were up 28-13. Is that right? 28-13 yeah. when he throws that bad pick. You know, if they're running it. You don't need to go for it there. All, all, you get everything pick. there. You get a field goal there, 31-13. This isn't even a discussion. How scared were you of Rodgers that whole game on a scale of 1 to 100? All of it. Like 100? Yeah, he's figured it out. He's, yeah. he's so locked in. I, we've all had Jared Cook on our fantasy team, right? <laughs> we've yeah. all had him like for three weeks. You yeah, wave yeah. him. It's like, oh, yeah. man, he had one catch last week. I'm getting rid of him. Like, well, how right. is he the X Factor now? I don't know. It's like, Jared Cook. It all changed when Jared Cook showed up. It's like, this guy's <laughs> any team could have had him for five years. I love Joe Buck, but when he was screaming, that's oh, incomplete, I was like, no, that's a catch. That's definitely a catch. Oh, the one on the side, the last one? The Cook catch. He's like, that's incomplete. Well, I guess one of the refs, was, one of the officials was saying incomplete, and one was saying was, they were going to have to be overruled. But And how does that Mason Crosby make a 56-yarder? How does no Cowboy even come near blocking it? Uh, right. You have to kick that so low. Who's that guy, Irving, you have in your yeah, team? Yeah, is he like 6'6"? Yeah, he's a monster. Can't put that guy, put his hands up? Well, I think because the kick was 30 feet to the left to begin, like you know, all of our guys <laughs> missed it. Like, I, I, how did that hook in? Like, both, of those, both of those. Poor like Mason a, Crosby. Nobody's talking about it today. It's like one of the great kicks right. in the history of the playoffs. Absolutely. 56-yard knuckleball. Yeah. Line drive. Oh, then he makes another one. So depressing. What else? One what last, are, wh- one last thing, and I know no one wants to hear it, but Tony Romo goes twelve and four, or thirteen and three with this team, and at least loses in their first game. That's all I'm saying. That's all <laughs> okay. I'm saying. All right. <laughs> Where does he go next year? I don't know. Oh, you're really traumatized. <laughs> I, I was so conflicted. Like I collapsed. I hated that they really lost the game and everything. But it's it's. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to root for this team anymore this year. What happens now to Garrett? He just comes back? Oh, yeah. Just run it back? Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. no, he was he was in consideration for Coach of the Year. What was your biggest surprise of the weekend? Um, that the the best game before yesterday was the Texans-Patriots. Should I know. Just discuss that. I never felt like we were going to lose. No. But I was really impressed by their defense. Yeah. It was a little 07 Giants-ish. They, they really were laying it on Brady. I started to get worried. We always used to talk, going way back to when Favre was in the playoffs, about old quarterbacks in cold weather. Mm-hmm. And right around that, I was watching with Tate, actually. Right around the second quarter, I started thinking, like, this is an old guy in 22-degree weather just getting the shit pounded out of him. Yeah. I did make me nervous, but thank God for Brock Osweiler. That was it. Yeah, he out Osweiler himself. It was a weird game though because we've seen football playoff games like that before. Where you're supposed to win, you take the early lead, mm-hmm. everyone relaxes, then all of a sudden Brady throws a bad pick, field goal, Dean Lewis kick return fumble. All of a sudden yeah. it's fourteen twelve or fourteen thirteen, right. whatever it was, and the crowd's dead because it's cold. And that was the thing we should have we should have realized when they moved that game last night. Mm-hmm. You have that night game when it's twenty two degrees. How loud can it really be? Everyone's yeah. everyone's bundled up. You can't make right. that much noise. Right, yeah. Roethlisberger said it was really loud in there, but it's hard to believe it Did was it? that loud when yeah. it's that cold. Back to the Patriots real quick. We'll, <laughs> we'll do every game, I think. But um, first of all, the uh, 
What, what was I going to say? I'm sorry. Although the man of the year, I just want to talk about the man of the year. Gronk is the Walter Payton man of the year, and Nance has to announce it, and they have graphics of him like just being a buffoon. He's <laughs> so, on the Gronk cruise. Yeah, but fun. They had everything but the cruise there. <laughs> That's one thing that stood out to me. The other thing is everyone and their mother had the Pats minus seven and a half in the second half, and it was a winner. You texted me about you thought that was the obvious bet of the year. It was so crazy. It was it so was crazy. A, it was, was on it. I tweeted that Saturday night, gutsy cover by the Pats. It was. You don't hear the word gutsy with gambling covers, but that was just gutsy. <laughs> Cut it out. What's the basketball equivalent to this? You would know this. A team wins by 18, which is a massive blowout by NFL standards, and Belichick's going to be all over their shit all week about how poorly oh, yeah. they played. Is this like Coach Nike? whipping his players after they win by only 38 against IUPUI or something? Well, it was, it was really like a college football game where yeah. it's like Alabama kills Vanderbilt or something by right. 18 and they were favored by 38. Yeah, but they weren't. But, they were favored no. by 17. 17, crazy. But. It, it was a sloppy performance and they really needed every inch of Brock Osweiler's terrible quarterback play. Yeah. If, if they had had, I'm trying to think of a decent quarterback who could have been in there alex smith right he's about as decent mediocre as right. he gets is it maybe slight and a touch above they might have beaten us in that game i thought there were six non-playoff afc teams that could have made that a one-score game considering the pats had three turnovers and all that i thought like san diego yeah. colts denver uh buffalo who am i missing two others that that, uh, I don't know. I, I, who, I thought Houston probably had the best defense of anyone really? we saw this weekend. Yeah, yeah, I was impressed by their D. Yeah, but they needed to score. Brady's throwing these weird 40-yard lollipop passes that I've never really seen him throw. He completed like four of them. He still had – no, he had six or seven 20-plus yard pass right. completions. But a couple of them were like bloops. Right, yeah, yeah. Like with a receiver had to turn around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, I don't know. My, I talked to my dad on Sunday morning. It was, it was Sunday. You would have thought we lost. Really? So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, you know, it's like yeah. we won by 18. But The other thing to look out for, they reported Hogan got injured. Uh, oh. Wasn't his 24-inch pythons. No, it was his thigh. They said they had, he has a thigh injury. It's reported that he's using a golf ball to rub on it to, to get rejuvenated. We're going to find out that's illegal. That's the next— uh, The golf ball rubbing? Yeah, that, we're going to find out that's the next Patriot scandal. Do you know that— You can't in, use it. In Boston today on the sports radio stations, there's a whole thing going on about how Goodell is is basically a coward and won't come to any games in New England. Really? He hasn't been there in a couple of years. Uh-huh. He goes to all these other places. Like, he was in Arrowhead last night. Mm-hmm. This next game, he'll definitely go to Atlanta. Yeah. He's just, he's avoided New England, but I actually think it's probably a good idea. I wouldn't want to go to he New England if I was, yeah, he can't go yeah. there. Yeah. What do they expect him to come in? Like like Vince McMahon, he's going to walk out? Yeah, right. Oh, no. hey, New England. <laughs> I don't think that's happening. No, it's Boston Bomber, Goodell, Aaron Boone. Those three. Don't come back. And the British. And the British, oh yeah. <laughs> Those horses will make it. Yeah, so that that was... I mean, we basically had the favorites covered the first six, and we did not really have a good game. Seven? Uh, oh, six, right. You're right. Yep. And it was like, wow, are the favorites really going to go 8-0? Mm-hmm. And then pretty early in that Cowboys game, you could tell the Packers were at least covering. Yeah. What was it, four? It ended at four and a half? Uh, it was like five, yeah. Supposedly Vegas got absolutely I mean, they annihilated had to yesterday. Have. Like, it's been a co- there were articles about it If today. we ever go back, I don't know, what what is standing? What could be standing? Like the... The, the casino, the, the, you think the flamingos are just on fire? I don't know what's still up there. Like, like you said, all four last week. 
Yeah. Uh, Clemson money line, which was our uh, which was our Don Julio shot of the week. Yeah. The fact when the, when it's the money line and the over in the championship game, they got slaughtered there the first two Saturday. And I think everyone had Green Bay and Pittsburgh yesterday. Like I think everyone so seemed to have Pittsburgh, you know. Rarely do you see the the quote unquote hot team coming into the playoffs in each conference and they both just stay hot. Yeah. Usually one of them that gets upended. Right. Because right. Seattle was getting a little buzzed too, and then they look terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. With the thing I don't understand with Pittsburgh is why their defense looks good all of a sudden. I can't tell if it's the offenses they're playing or if their defense is actually they've just figured it out. Here's what's interesting. I think your team going into the Final Four has the best defense. When does that happen? Interesting. That's never happened. There's no, no Carolina around, no Denver. Maybe Pittsburgh? Would you, would you rather have New England's defense or Pittsburgh? I don't think it's by miles, but let's not forget, Pittsburgh, Matt Moore had like 14 completions in a row last week. So True. I, I think they're kind of they, – they play hard-nosed, but they're kind of soft also. It's a weird combination. I think yours is the best defense right now. James Harrison spends 350000 a year in his body. Do you know? They said know. that yesterday on this show. I know. He makes it's unbelievable. He He's makes, 38 years old. He makes 135 grand. But he spends three, <laughs> he spent no, 350000 Yeah, 38 years. I didn't know if you knew his age because they only mentioned it uh, 750000 years. I don't know how he's doing this, Al. I don't understand <laughs> Let's it. talk about that game for a second. So they move it. It was everything we expected. But before it even they kicked off, this is your boy Goodell. They're dying for a reason to get a primetime Sunday night game. Day before Martin Luther King Day. Happy Martin Luther King Day, everyone. Uh, when a lot of people are off, they'll yes. make that a late game. Yep. And since when do they care about how the fans are going to get to a game? Remember when we see like different blizzards and everything else? They never used to move the games. They see partly cloudy, 33 degrees, chance of rain. They're like, we're moving this tonight. We can't have this. It was the most shameless uh, fake excuse for a schedule move they've had since. Remember that time when they moved? I think it was an Eagles game. They moved it from Monday to Tuesday. I believe it was the Eagles. And it was clearly like just a tester to see if Tuesday night football could be a thing or not. They're like, oh, we got to move this game. There's going to be too much snow. It's like there's snow 10 times a year that wrecks these games. Yeah. Just to be safe. I didn't and get they it did the all. whole tester, and it was right before the TV deal. Yeah, and this is what they're clearly doing with this. They want to know: should we have Sunday Night Football? And the answer is yes, because I'm sure the ratings were phenomenal. Yesterday. I'm sure it was. I'm glad the Steelers. You know, they had to endorse six field goals from the Steelers and no touchdowns. But yeah, the Raider, the ratings will probably be good. I had friends in Kansas City say it was fine. They could have played two hours before, three hours before. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. when they when they were on the field in Kansas City, I was expecting to see, like, Christina Pink or whoever the right. hell was down there, like, just being pelted with ice. <laughs> yeah, right. Seemed Nothing. like it was fine. No, it was fine. Seemed like she was okay. <laughs> it looked like it was going to rain in, like, three days. I, so if they had to do that over again, it would have been too obvious to do Dallas-Green Bay moving it tonight because you have a dome. Yeah, right. I mean, like, the yeah. weather. The, we sad. So they had to But do you it. guys could close the roof. Ah, nonsense. No, no, no. Let's bring it. Nonsense. Traffic could it. be bad. Um, so next year, that's that locked that down. It's got to be, And right? it's a huge advantage for the Pats. For the Pats? Oh, for yeah. next year. Stand yeah. the Steelers play until, yeah. you know, almost midnight East Coast time in 22-degree oh, yeah. weather. And our game was done 30 hours earlier. I thought it would work the other way. I did think you were saying, like, it was cold. Nobody was talking. It wasn't loud. But I thought maybe Steelers fans wouldn't travel as well as they yeah. did Sunday night. It didn't seem to matter because the Chiefs never had the freaking ball. Every time you looked up, the Steelers had it. I think it was like time of possession was 34-25 or something, and that's with the Chiefs having it like eight of the last ten minutes. It was ridiculous. It was it was everything we thought it would be. It was a very close game. It had a weird final score. Yeah. And the difference was 
Kelsey dropped that one touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, he should have had it. And Tyreek Hill never made a play. Never made a play. Chiefs needed a big play from one of those two guys, and they win the game, and they just didn't get one yep. from either. I just don't think you should lose a home playoff game when the other team doesn't score a touchdown. It's embarrassing. I know. It's not like the Steelers are the 85 Bears. They scored two touchdowns. Steelers scored none, and they lost. And I don't know what Travis, Travis, Travis Kelsey is crying about. That was, that was a hold. It's unfortunate, yeah. but Albert held Harrison. It was. Tate and I were saying right before you got here that if he doesn't hold them, Harrison just sure. nails him or strip sacks yeah. him or something. You lose anyway. That's all. He held them because he yeah. was going to sack They call the that every time. I don't know what he's Smith, discussing. I, I think that has to be it for Smith and the Chiefs. Yeah. He missed some some pretty big throws in that game. I don't know. There were some just, drops, too. There were a ton there of drops. There were some drops. It's just something about it. Right. But I don't know what the answer is. I don't either. I you run that, that back. Was. You run that back with him and Andy. Andy calls timeout on that fourth and two. Mm-hmm. When if they don't get it, they need all their timeouts. Yeah. And it's like the two point conversion is just as important as that play. Yeah, so yeah, it's what like, do you, yeah. Why do you practice all year? You can't just call in a play. He had you, need, you need to talk it over for three minutes. I think he said, guys, if I don't do this now, I'm not going to be able to make a terrible call all year. <laughs> I, I have to get it. It's just this classic. Year. They have one timeout left. Yeah. And then they it works out perfectly somehow. The kickoff, they're inside the five. Mm-hmm. And then they give up a first down the anyway. Third, that was a great play by Roethlisberger. Waited, waited, and waited. And, uh, it was guys, nice. They're not. Um, well, we have one more game to go over, but let's well, let's uh, Atlanta, Atlanta? Seattle. We didn't we didn't do Atlanta Seattle. That was. Eh. I don't know if there's much to go over with that one. Seattle just wasn't one of the four best teams. Yeah, they got exposed. They can't block. Defense was too banged up. Matt Ryan looked good. That's kind of everything we thought. They were getting hurt too. That that the, you the turning point. Everyone else says was uh, Hester, the hold on his 71 yard return or whatever. Which I, I don't know, or whatever the return was, but uh, I think when the rookie guard comes out and they have to replace him for three plays, and um, Wilson steps on his foot or he steps on Wilson's foot, that safety was a killer. Like they couldn't bounce back from them. Then Atlanta kept scoring. For Atlanta them. was better. They're better. I think Atlanta's good. Yeah, yeah, I like their offense. Five guys that I'm terrified they, of. Running backs that can break plays. They mm-hmm. they can get big receiving plays. They're decent on defense, especially at home. They can make a couple plays. I don't know. Mohamed Sanu is now a force too. Like you can't. Mohamed Sanu senior. I'm sorry, senior. Senior. Is it senior? Mohamed Sanu senior. <laughs> yeah. Is a little one. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, let's it. let's do. Uh, let's quickly take a break to talk about one of my favorite companies, Dunkin' Donuts. Oh yeah. I moved to Los Angeles in 2002. It took me 13 years to work or live near a Dunkin' Donuts again, and then they opened one up on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. We are back. <laughs> so, did you know you could upgrade your day with DD Perks and the Dunkin' Donuts mobile app? Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of benefits with DD Perks. The first being that you're in a free beverage just by enrolling. It also has the on-the-go ordering, so you can order ahead from your phone, speed past the line in the store, and go. Mm. It's like like TSA for coffee. Everyone hates you, though, right? No, no? You, you bathe in their hate, oh, hatred. Okay. DD Perks members also enjoy special offers. You can even choose to pay right from your phone with the Dunkin' Apps, DD Perks. Everyone deserves an upgrade. Download the Dunkin' app. Enroll today. Speeding past the line. May not be possible at all locations, but it is possible at some of them. It's my dream come true to speed past the line to get (laughs) coffee. Visit ddperks.com for terms and conditions. And uh, the other thing we got to do is the Don Julio shot of the week. I have an idea for this. I have an idea, too. What's your idea? 
Well, my idea is you take over completely and pick the uh, the winner of Golden State Cleveland tonight. I could do that. I was thinking we do uh, we do our Oscars thing. Oh, okay. We could do that too. Don Julio, the world's original handcrafted tequila with multiple unique tequilas, including Don Julio 1942, the best luxury tequila you ever drink. I don't have a feel for Golden State Cleveland you know, because I don't know. You know what the spread is? Golden State home. Where's the game? It's Golden State home? Mm-hmm. I would say Golden State by eight. Yeah, that's exactly right. You don't have a feel? I would say Cleveland plus eight. Let's do it. We'll do that as Cleveland Don plus Julio. Eight. Yeah. That's it. All right. Yeah, I think. They just have think, their number uh, and we'll keep it close. I think Kyrie really loves playing them. Mm-hmm. The Corver thing will be interesting. Okay. Yeah, it'll be close. I, I find it hard to believe the Warriors are going to blow them out. All right. I had another idea for Don Julio shot of the week. Yeah. The Denzel bet we may or may not have done. You love this. <laughs> Denzel's plus 400 to win Best Actor. Yeah. Casey Affleck's minus 500. Denzel's winning the Oscar. Let's give that out. It's, it's more than a shot of a week. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a big machine gun shot of the week. Denzel's winning the so Oscar. So he's second, right? Yeah. Casey Affleck. He's winning. People is... are voting for him and Viola Davis. It's going to happen. Who won the Golden Globe? Uh, Casey, Casey Affleck, Affleck, right? Red Herring. Yeah. That's the only thing that. Denzel. These guys are going to be filling out their ballots. They're all over 80. Casey Affleck minus 500. Denzel plus 400. Yeah. Gosling plus Lock 600. And then Lockdown. Exalt. Denzel's really good in that movie. All right. The movie's about okay. 30 minutes like too it. long, but he's great in it. Well, I don't know why I'm agreeing now. I agreed Saturday. You agreed yeah, but money now, on it. now we're giving it to the public. <laughs> all, all right. right. Let's do the lines for uh, round three. All right. Sunday, 3 p.m. Pacific. Green Bay at Atlanta. I said. <clears throat> Three and a half, and you said three and a half? We both said three and a half. The actual line right now is four. It's been jumping around four, four and a half, five. <clears throat> Sorry, back down to four. Does that line end up at three? I don't think so. You think three and a half it yeah. ends up? Because it went up against Seattle, and it went up for Dallas against Green Bay. So people are pounding the favorites. One thing to know here, over-under is 61 and a half. Highest postseason over-under of all time. Before that, it was 2012, 59 and a half, New Orleans, uh, Detroit. New Orleans won 45-28. So Falcons and the over is 34 to 30 would be the final. How could you like take that. under? You can't take under, right? I'm saying, yeah, the no, over. No, I know. Who, who's going to take under? 33 to 30, they don't cover. The, they played in week eight. Atlanta won 33-32, didn't cover. I know I had it. And uh, 40 to <laughs> – it's really – I mean <laughs> – to hit that, the Packers have to get to at least twenty-four. Unless everything forty a field to twenty-four goal. covers, right? Unless that everything's really a field high. goal. I know, I know. Well, on a <laughs> teaser, it's not as high. We'll figure it out. I, are you sure that line's not going to go to three? People think Rodgers can like walk on water at this point. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Even when he throws interceptions, like Buck and Aikman, Aikman's like. Oh, that's the receiver's fault. Right. He's, or like that play with uh, Allison when Allison didn't cut mm-hmm. across on that third down. Yeah. And Rodgers is just yelling because Rodgers yells every time he doesn't get a first down. It's right, always right. someone else's yeah. fault. And uh, well, that's Aikman's not like, the... well, that's Allison. Allison's got to fight through. It's like you watch the replay. <laughs> What's he going to do? Knock the guy over to get open? <laughs> well, that's not the Geronimo Allison everyone's become accustomed to. I know. Come on, Geronimo. are these guys he's throwing to? This I know. is crazy. I know. Jared Cook, Richard Rogers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Atlanta. I, 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 by the way, I could be convinced of picking any of these two of these four against the spread. I don't see Atlanta scoring less than 38, though. 
less than 38. Yeah. Unless it's all field goals or something. Is I there just, anything to Matt Ryan touchdowns. is going to win the MVP, Rodgers? Not that he needs more motivation, but no. this is nice to just go. Now you're going through the MVP. You 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 wipe off Dallas. Yeah. Well, first of all, you wipe off the Giants. The mm-hmm. Giants fans feel like they own you. They can go to Lambeau and beat, right. you, beat them. You wipe off Dallas, Dak, Zeke Elliott, Jerry Jones. You get that done. Mm-hmm. Great comeback. All oh, that's a great comeback from the comeback. Then – you beat the MVP, and then Brady is in the final round. Right. It, it is kind of set up nice for him. Yeah. Well, also, he's got a chip on his shoulder because they keep talking about the four best quarterbacks. Even though he's going to be MVP, probably, Ryan, bit, big odds on favor right now. They, If you read the articles and everything, they kind of put Ryan in a different class with these other th- than these other yeah, three. Yeah, I agree. You know? I would uh, say he's on the class with Roethlisberger. I, so? I would say right now it's Rodgers one, Brady two. Drop off Roethlisberger Ryan. Yeah. It's so crazy. The guy's you know, going to win MVP. I don't know if you noticed this, but the Times ran a story about Rogers' family yesterday. Yeah, I saw that. Weird timing, suspicious, like right day of the game. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that. I keep reading this stuff about his family and his brother who went on The Bachelorette. Like, who does mm-hmm. that? That yeah. Who does that? That's a normal person. Um, you and retweeted the f- something funny about the Bachelorette and the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, champ. Roger Sherman. It's the Super Bowl champ and the Bachelorette winner have never never in the same. Elias year. said that's never happened. Yeah, <laughs> but everybody seems to be looking at the family part, but nobody seems to be asking. Maybe there's a reason he distanced himself from the family. Yeah, just throwing that out there. I haven't heard that possibility discussed. Like no. We see this all the time in sports, and it's and for some reason with Rogers' family, it seems unrealistic mm-hmm. to people. But it shouldn't. Maybe maybe they were like asking him for money. Maybe they were trying to leverage him in all I'm these sure. different ways, and he felt like he had to distance himself. I mean, yeah, we know celebrities like families can be pretty rough. Yeah, families can ask for stuff. Families me. can want this, that, the other <laughs> thing. Got cousins coming out of the woodwork. Oh. <laughs> I mean, not you. They want a cameo and a no. discount double check commercial. He's not giving it to them. But I, you know. No, of course. No one wants to hear that side, though. Because it's not wants as to hear exciting that side, as the celebrity girlfriend and Rogers being the problem. And Rogers hasn't said anything. But the way this is being painted is mm-hmm. like Aaron used to be one of us. And then now he's got this celebrity girlfriend. It's like, well, or maybe his family kept asking him for shit yeah. and kept bugging him and kept putting him in a bad position and kept trying to leverage his fame and I'm he sure got fed up with it. it. I'm sure it's I part of it. I would bet on that over the version we keep reading. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, why don't you release the back the tapes we never saw from any given Wednesday when you sat down with him and we could <laughs> I did, put this, didn't ask to, about that. Put you know, this to rest. And I took heat for not asking about his brother and I'm like, why would I ask about his brother who goes on this reality show trying to leverage yeah. his Aaron as like whatever. I didn't, right. I didn't feel right about that mm-hmm. anyway i thought that was shitty that that article came of out of course it's day, all the day of and i think jerry jones engineered it <laughs> it was bad, bad for well it worked well it definitely worked um, <laughs> great and now your game uh 6 40 eastern time pittsburgh at new england i think we've been doing this too long because we both picked the same for both games three i said uh six right six we both at six and what it is, is it? it is six so t- there's a tease here with the Pats and the Packers bringing them to 10. Yeah. 10 and a half. Could that line go to four and a half? Sure. I just want to say I love the spot that the Patriots are in you where did. coming off a shitty win is where you want to be as a football team. Mm-hmm. Where 
you you advance, but you feel terrible about it, and the coach is going to be cracking the whip all week. And now you have this Antonio Brown Facebook Live video. Right. Tom calling them assholes. Like, of course he should call them assholes. Yeah. Like, like Belichick, well, hey, that guy called us assholes. Right. But He's they, right. He's also right. Yeah, he's also right. We are assholes. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah. Belichick, time the fuck out! Did you see that time out? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was great, but... I think this would be a properly motivated Patriots team. I do worry about Brady, though. I think for years, if I would ask you every year going into the playoffs, which team you're afraid of, probably seven of the last nine, you would have said Pittsburgh, most afraid of. But, because of the weapons. But this team is, I think, 80% of what... This is not Roethlisberger hitting Antonio Brown in stride two, no. three times a game. This is a different team, a defense that sometimes shows up, sometimes doesn't. Le'Veon Bell doing weird, running like no one's ever seen anyone run before. Like, when he stops, why doesn't anyone just tackle him? When he stops in the hole. It's, an, it's like an optical one. illusion. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm being stupid. But like, like, he easily could, though. Eric, like, you would just stare at him. Right. Frozen. Eric Berry at one point yesterday was like, oh, he stopped. I'm just going to tackle him now. <laughs> it's insane. And then he ends up with 170 yards. I think he, lull, he lulls people to sleep when yeah. he's doing the, whatever he's doing with his feet. People are like, oh, yeah, what's like, he no, doing? No, we can't go after him now. What's going on? But, but the, the one big Antonio Brown play they had was because, for whatever reason, the Chiefs decided to guard him with Justin Houston. Right. Remember that play mm-hmm. for like sure. 52 yards? But yeah. other than that, it's, I don't know. They kept those long passes pretty much in check. It's very strange. It's not the Roethlisberger you're used to or afraid of normally. And, you know, and there's still that 15-yard pass to Eli Rogers out of nowhere. It's like, oh, man, that, that sinks us. But you're not as scared as you thought you would be of the Steelers team. No, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned than, than – uh, I'm more concerned about my own team. Mm-hmm. And I also think the Steelers are going to go in thinking they can win, which is – that's where you don't want to be when you're the home team. You want it to be like a Texan situation where like, yeah. we're going to win, and deep down they're like, Brock Osweiler's our quarterback. Right. We're screwed. Or you have like the Chiefs coming in last year. It's like, yeah, we can win this, but Alex Smith's our quarterback. Mm-hmm. This one, they're just going to think they can win. So we're actually going to have to play well is my point. Yeah. How I many, think the how many points do you have to score? I don't know. The Steelers do that weird thing like they where they kick field goals over touchdowns over and over again. It's kind right. of their Achilles heel. I would say we have to get to 30. Sounds about right. Yeah. But um, the Deion Lewis, as predicted for weeks on this pod, was unleashed in that uh, in round two. And I think he's a huge X factor. He, he's now, very, very, very good. But now he has to have a, a really good game, doesn't he? he? For you to win? Yes. It, it was it was a nice bonus all these all these weeks leading up. He kind of... He kind of has to be the man now. They did what I thought they were going to do when it got to playoff time, which is just Blunt, Blunt took a back seat. Yeah, it was Lewis weird. got most of the reps. White had a nice little touchdown, but for the most part, Lewis was the guy. And Lewis on kick returns, even though he had that fumble, it was pretty. It was a, a dangerous wrinkle that right. I wasn't expecting. Who was the guy? Who was doing kickoff returns in one of the games? Uh, Atlanta, Seattle, Hester. No. The, oh, Hester was really good. Yeah. Um, now I'm blanking now. I'm oh, Bra- Brown was doing some kick returns last night. Oh, Antonio Brown. Yeah. I like when teams do that for for they the do. big playoff games when they break out the guns. And then the Steelers were, had their basically their first team defense on special teams, which I thought was smart. Right. But again, they played Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm worried about Brady on a Sunday night if it's like 20 degrees. It's gonna know. be great. It's gonna be great. 
You have to be. You have How'd to, you do in Cousin South Shore? Thing. My best bet of the year. I put half my stack on it was the Falcons. Oh, and uh, had a nice. little. It made it a little interesting towards the end, but that was a win. And then I won with the Green Bay New England teaser, which you didn't need to tease. But and then the Chiefs. Chiefs. Chiefs blew it. We so. hit both of our teases. We did. That was nice. Yeah. I had to talk you. You had to talk me into it, and then I had to talk you into New England. That was the thing about the New England game. Like no one thought the Texans would come back, even if it was eleven. But because of gambling, everyone was locked in for the last hour of that. It's like, oh well, they co- cover on a two-team teaser. Whoa, they're covering the actual spread. This is insane. The Will Fuller drop for a touchdown was the spread right there. It would have yeah. been twenty-four-twenty. Right. And if and if they had stopped us, they would have had the ball with a chance to win. And it yeah. just right through his hands. That was Willie Mays, though. That wasn't like he was looking at it the whole time over his shoulder. That was like, I'm going to look up directly into the sky, and I have to catch it right there. But because it was, was basically open. the same one Kelsey missed. Maybe we right. maybe we underestimate how hard that catches. Yeah. Especially in the night games. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. That's what it. happens? Give us a Romo prediction for your Don Julio second shot of the week. <laughs> what team? I'm going to say, I hope. Houston, but it, it's complicated if it is. Houston, the $25 million cap hit. What, what, let me ask you this. What, what do you get for Tony Romo in a trade? You, you, he decides where he wants to go. No, but what, what a Dallas. What you is get Dallas? like a fourth-round pick. Fourth round? Because well, he gets to decide where he wants to go. If he's like, I want to go to Houston, it's like, all right, Houston, what do you get for Tony Romo? I don't Romo? think Jerry gives up. First of all, freaking Sam Bradford got a one and a three for Sam Bradford. We're almost 37. He's had like 40 years. surgeries. He's better than Sam Bradford for the next three years. Come on. You, don't you think, think you get, get a, a second two? rounder? I think so. Plus, if Jerry's going to take that chance, he doesn't want to lose the state of Texas to, to Tony Romo, right? I mean, I think he does well by him. Why wouldn't he do Denver? He could do Denver. But like you said, then What you're, about one of the L.A. teams? It's cold, and then you're under L.A. No, you want to be able to win the division the year you get there. Romo could get a bye with the Texans. L.A. Rams? Cardinals? I don't know. Should we talk about Superfly Snooker real quick? Yes. Or do you think it's weird? No, I think we should. All I'm going to say is... Ooh, sn- we might, we might have, we're going long on this. We might have to bump Pete Berg. Oh, that'd be great. What a, what a feather in my cap. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do Superfly real quick, and then we'll yeah. go. All okay. Right. Uh Passed away yesterday, 73-year-old. A little tainted by the probability <laughs> that he murdered somebody. I will say, <laughs> hats off to the Lehigh County Police Department for botching that investigation. Otherwise, we never would have seen Superfly as we know him. I, right? Well, it definitely was a botching. Yeah. Yeah, I'm conflicted because, you know, before uh, the before this investigation came out, I would have this would have been like, oh, my God, Superfly died. Right. I had to write a column. And now yeah. it's like, God clearly he murdered somebody yeah it sure seems like the facts support it it's pretty close but i will say when he got on the cage against backland and missed in 1982 that yeah. was the single most exciting wrestling moment of my life really yeah that was number one for me okay number he, one he goes up he's yeah. on the rope mm-hmm. he looks around he turns to his left <clears throat> looks around like should I do this? Yeah. And the crowd just fucking loses it. Went nuts. It was at the garden, climbs right? Up, climbs yeah. up on the cage, and it's like the cage isn't even prepared to the have There's like sucks. ropes and stuff. He's got to like navigate how to stand on it. <laughs> and he jumps, and it's like this would be the equivalent of if somebody did that from 100 feet now. Yeah. It right. just seemed 
because until like 1977, they wouldn't even let wrestlers jump off the top rope. It was jump. like a ban. No, this is the X Games before the X Games. Yeah, and it's like, oh my, it, it was just the most exciting thing I've ever seen. And those seen. cages were flimsy. They were so bad, those cages. Like you wouldn't uh, put dogs in those cages. And like the, the, the there was a ref outside that would open the door. Like our kids have toy cages that are sturdier than right. what Superfly Snooker was standing on. I like the uh, Morocco one where he actually hit. Well, now, now, he, so that was a year later. Yeah, right. So, so he, what I found out, I was researching yesterday, the MSG match was in 82, like in the late spring, early summer. Backland? Yeah. Yeah, back, Backland Snooker. Mm-hmm. And then three months later, same match in Toronto, same miss from the top of really? the steel cage. I'm starting to wonder if wrestling's rigged. <laughs> you know, they used to do that a lot. They'd have a card at Madison Square Garden, yeah. and then they'd go to like a high school gym, and I would be there, and it was like exactly the same finish. And I was like, wait a minute. I, I got to still believe. I saw Big John Studd versus Bob Backlund in uh-huh. MSG, and then in Boston Garden, and the match ended the same way. Same and it way. Was, yeah. But it's like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Sure. You're like, you you know deep down, but you're like, that's weird. I can't <laughs> believe Studd fell for that again. Twice. Like you talk yourself into it. <laughs> Didn't he remind? But the Morocco match, so he headbutts. Morocco's the champ, and you think, oh, Snooker's not going to be a good intercontinental champ. How's it going to happen? How are they going to do this? So he's killing Morocco. His blood everywhere. He headbutts Morocco, who goes flying over the top uh, of turnbuckle and out of the cage. So Morocco wins the match. Yeah. And they're, they're, that was the great thing with MSG. They ring the bell like 40 times. Like, yeah. ding, 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 ding. Like, okay. We the match is over. He brings them back in, suplexes them. And then goes to the top of the cage and, and lands, unlike the Backlund match, lands on Morocco, who's like sitting up, kind of waiting He's for He's catching him, yeah. I think, it like, was to, so high at that yeah, point. right, exactly. But it was like the legend of the Snooker Backlund. It's a full yeah. year later when he does the Morocco thing. So when he goes up there, the crowd loses its mind again. Right. That was great. The uh, He also had, he jumped off Andre's shoulders. Oh, yeah, Against right. the Samoans, which was, you know, probably higher than the than the top. yeah turnbuckle right oh definitely yeah seven feet six and a half feet up Mm -hmm. in the air yeah and it's one of the best matches on youtube the afros are incredible snooka andre's in full afro mode and then the two samoans and they're all not andre but they're all related right snooka the samoans uh, the snooka and the samoans are a little related right Uh, all all these guys uh and then the last great one was he had the uh the coconuts. Well, that was the it. greatest moment of Piper's career. And before YouTube, even, and now since I've watched it another hundred times, but I had it on VC, a VCR recording of it. And I must have watched Piper hit Snook with the coconut like 350 times over and over and I would, over. I would have, that seems low. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, would have, I would have guessed like 500,000 uh, times. It was, and the way Snook played it was great. And I just, uh, it hasn't aged that great from a racism standpoint. It's very weird, like, but that's it's how very they, uncomfortable. That's how they got crowds going. Like, you could yeah. just go after a guy's race, and it's like, all right, now you have. Yeah, Jeff Frost and I were talking about that when he was yeah. on the podcast on Friday about how racist the roasts were uh-huh. in like the seventies, where you just be like, start making fun of a Polish person, Italian yeah. person, black. You just went right there. Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, fake oh, laughing over his vodka, like right. yeah, really, like they're uh, making eyeball and black guy jokes about him for an hour, right? But so <laughs> but Piper, Piper snook, like hitting him with the, you want to, yeah, you yeah, here's one coconut, two coconuts. <laughs> right. He's counting bananas, and Snook is barely saying anything, and then gets the coconut to the. The other one was Ray Stevens 
Didn't Ray Stevens pile drive him on the yes, concrete? Yes, he did. Yeah. Was that, that was before that. Freddie Blassie. That was before that Morocco. That was when he switched, switched away from Albano and went to Buddy Rogers. It was Rogers' corner where he, right. with the heel turn. But the, the, the pile drive, turn. I remember thinking like he really died. Like yeah, he broke too. his neck. Oh, my God. <laughs> what happened? It turns out yeah. Jimmy Snuka had a hard head. But, Piper um, said Snuka was never the same after in real life after the coconut hit. What do you mean? He said his head, his head injury. Like that would be the... That's what the NFL would be talking about now, like the hit him, hitting him with the coconut. Oh, um, like the guy in the Chiefs yesterday who got to come back. Yeah, that in was one crazy. Play. That was ridiculous. He's passed the concussion protocol. It's yeah. back. It's like the guy clearly got Ugh. nailed the head. They didn't have a concussion protocol anymore. No, nothing. Ah, uh, no. Snuka. That was it. Well, I will say, as 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 a young kid growing up in the early '80s, Snuka climbing to the top rope was the most exciting thing happening. Definitely. It really was. It was like that. Michael Jordan. It was. It was all these yeah. kind of tipping, tipping point moments as we kept climbing athletically and snuck a. Let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> terrible interview. Yeah. Awful. Couldn't really get the title because he was such a bad interview. But wasn't it? Wasn't it for like about nine, ten months they could headline uh, cards with him? He sure. didn't need to have the title. Yeah, Snooker Morocco. There's all Snooker matches. anybody. You thought he was going to kill whoever it was. Very, very athletic in the ring. Great athlete. Great wrestler. Let me, Cousin South Shore thing. Check in Thursday morning, I think. I'm on a roll. Uh, I will have two winners for you. I'm in the black for the season. Nice. Congrats. Jimmy Kim Alive. It's a rerun tonight. Martin Luther King Day. Later in the week, Vin Diesel, Bill Maher, Anthony Anderson, and uh, the brand new L.A. Chargers. Joey Bosa and Phil Rivers will join us. Oh, the L.A. Chargers. Feel the excitement. <laughs> Cuz, good job by you. Good job by you, Billy. All right, before we get to Pete Berg, I want you to stop wasting money on expensive takeout. What if you signed up for Blue Apron? For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron will deliver you all the fresh ingredients you need for a delicious home-cooked meal. They have the highest standards for ingredients. They built a community of home chefs that has no rival. Some of the meals available in January include seared pork chops with farro and cranberry chutney, spaghetti squash and marinara with mushrooms and garlic knots, and spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and furikake. I think I said that right. Right now, you can get your first three Blue Apron meals for free with free shipping. Oh, yeah. Just go to blueapron.com slash BS. Blue Apron. A better way to cook. And also, since we're here, why would you waste 20 minutes finding a parking space outside a packed post office just so you can stand in line that's way, way, way too long while listening to annoying people taking forever to mail gifts and packages? Why would you do that? Why would you do that to yourself? Here's an idea. Just use stamps.com. At stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer or printer or your computer and printer. Whatever you want to do. All you have to do is sign up for Stamps.com right now and use the promo code BS. Happens to be my initials. You get a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes postage and a digital scale. What's the post office situation? You know what? It's terrible. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in BS. That's Stamps.com. Enter BS. And now, Peter Burke. All right, as promised, the director of Patriots Day, Peter Berg. You're, this is like your new genre now. You're, you've created a genre. It's immediate history told in a non-fictionally, somewhat fictional way. Mm-hmm. And this is now three in a row, right? Lone Survivor, Deepwater Horizon, yes. Patriots Day, 
How did this become your passion? Well, Battleship was the first, actually. Battleship, Battleship was, was the that, first. That was fiction. Uh, I guess you're right. That was fiction. That um, had aliens in it. I, I think, um, I think probably Friday Night Lights was was my first taste of of this. You know, when I did the film, and I was able to go live in in uh, in Texas and in bed with a, a high school football team for a, for an entire season, um, and that. That was kind of, I think, my my first taste of what I I feel my sweet spot is, and 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 that probably goes back to like college when I was taking cultural anthropology courses at McAllister College, where we would have to do um, a, a two week. Uh, um, assignment where we would study bus room, bus, uh, bus station behavior. Yeah. We just literally sit at a bus stop for two weeks, a couple hours a day and, and observe human behavior at a bus stop. And, and that kind of, that kind of experience got me hooked on nonfiction. Um, and, you know, with, with Mark Wahlberg by my side, we both kind of realized that these are the kinds of stories that get us going. And it's been kind of, kind of amazing to be able to tell these stories. So does it keep going? Is it just these three or you have another one in the works? Well, I, I've told him that since I've directed three now where he, you know, he gets to come be Mark Wahlberg, you know, and, yeah. and I mean, he's an incredibly hardworking actor, but you know, he gets to go home and, and make two more movies while I'm, I do this, um, that he has to direct me next. And so I'm trying to talk. The Great White Hype too. I'm thinking more Last Tango in Paris too. So <laughs> oh, no. me and a controversial so, movie right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean like a love story with me and a um, erotic thriller. Yeah. Like a 22 year old French ingenue and we're on the beach and it's a lot of talking. And what about Basic Instinct 3? You take over the Douglas role. I, I really Jennifer Lawrence in the, in the Sharon Stone or something. Maybe? I have my heart set on um, and last tango. Last tango, okay, too. Last tango. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the Brando role, and okay, we'll figure something out. So Wahlberg, you guys became close during Lone Survivor, or sometime before that. Well, we've known each other forever, and uh, and you know Ari Emanuel is our our agent, and right. Mark Mark and I actually used to work out at a Gold's Gym nearby there I think there might have even been a gold's gym in this building in Hollywood with the original Johnny Drama mm. uh who was Mark's trainer yep um and uh was a really is, is a great guy and was a great trainer he's not training so much anymore um but Mark and I would work out and we knew each other and we both knew that we were both boxing fans and Mark had a boxing ring at his uh at his house then and I think we both sensed that if we ever did try and spar each other, it, it, we would kill each other. Why haven't you directed a boxing movie yet? It would seem like that that would combine the two things you love the most in life, right? I mean, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about the Dewey. And what boxing stories left? Dewey Bozella. Oh. You know him? Yeah, that was Another an ESPN story? documentary. Yeah. That was, no, ESPN, yeah. You yeah. Had, I think, were you involved in it? In the making not, of it? Not really. So it, I, it was already a finished product when I've it got I've been working us. on that for a while. Spent a lot of time with Dewey, who, for anyone that doesn't know the Dewey Bozella story, he was uh, a really talented a heavyweight fighter in the 70s yeah. who was framed for murder in Poughkeepsie, New York, um, and did, I believe it was 24, either 24 or 27 years at Sing Sing Prison. Had the opportunity to get out several at least four times if he would uh, admit remorse for for the crime and he he had too much pride to to admit the remorse cuz he you know Cause he didn't do maintained it. his innocence and was later proven by 
two young attorneys from a very powerful law firm in New York to actually had been innocent. He didn't do, didn't do the crime. He was framed, um, by some not, not particularly scrupulous, uh, prosecutors and law, uh, police officers in Poughkeepsie at the time. And I think at 55, Oscar de la Hoya gave him a pro fight. He won the Arthur Ashe courage award. I remember. And, you know, he made this beautiful speech and he said that, you know, he, he, he gave up on his dream, which was to be a pro fighter, but he, he held on to his integrity and, and, uh, de la Hoya saw it and, and got him a pro fight. And it's, it's a, it's a great story. The great story. And they used to bring So you, you are directing it or you think you're directing well, it? Well, I've been working on the script. I've spent gotcha. a lot of time with Dewey. So it's on my list. It's on, I, have a, I have a secret short list that I carry in my brain. Um, and it's it's films that just don't go away, stories that don't go away. And, and you write them by yourself or you have a writing partner? Um, I generally write them by myself. Yeah. Unless you want to help me, I would write with you. I'm available. Pardon me? I'm available. If you want to write one, I would. I, I'm, uh, I mean, the thing about boxing for me, I don't know. I, I, I love it so much and I feel, um, I feel that it's kind of a part of my life that, that is, keeps me sane, you know, and a long time ago I decided, um, you know, not to invest in a bar or a, a restaurant or, you know, a, an amateur baseball team, yeah. but to, with Gary Shandling, open up a boxing club. Yeah. And, you know, that's always been kind of an escape for me and something that I have a tremendous amount of passion for. And I could see doing something maybe in the documentary space, particularly about the just absolutely horrific state of boxing today and how you know these incredibly talented young fighters um are having so much trouble you know, getting getting any kind of notoriety or making any money and the business is is really being driven into the ground by some some you know petty corporate rivalries and um that interests me quite a what bit what has no it has no governing body really whatsoever no. It would almost be like if, if the NBA didn't exist and Westbrook and Durant just had to constantly figure out how to get games going with LeBron and Chris Paul. And That's it's right. ludicrous. And and there was there were yeah, there's no there was no league. So you've got it would be like if there were anybody in the world could stand up and say, I, I am the NFL and this is the Lombardi trophy. It's it's right. the Lombardi trophy, the Butkus <laughs> trophy, the Lawrence Teller trophy. And then people just come together and play um, you know, for whatever trophy they decide they want want to play for and the numbers the 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 separation of wealth and pro boxing between the you know top tier now that you know Mayweather's sort of out of it but I mean I remember when you and I went to the Mayweather Canelo fight yeah and I think you know what however many hundreds of millions of dollars uh Mayweather made you, know, you never know exactly what he made you know if you looked at the undercard the fighters fighting right under him were fighting for forty five fifty thousand dollars and you know that and, and that's generally the way the business goes so but doesn't make sense is people want live sports more than they ever have before. And you have all these different networks that are just dying to put, you have FS1, you have FS1 two, you have NBC sports network, ESPN one, ESPN two, mm -hmm. you have Twitter and Facebook and all these different platforms. I would think this would be the best possible chance to get 
you know, to get paid to box. Right. And yet it's such a mess. It's the opposite. Well, you've got different, you've got these different, these organizations. You've got Bob Arum, you've got Oscar De La Hoya, you've got this uh, gentleman, Al Heyman, Jay-Z dipped into it for a second. Yeah. And now uh, Oscar De La Hoya's ex-partner, Richard Schaefer, have started these so, you know separate promoting companies. And these guys hate each other's guts and want to do each other in. So if you have a talented fighter that fights for top rank and, and the, 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 and who's ready to fight, you know, all he wants to do is fight. He's, he's a, you know, incredibly disciplined, well-trained athlete And the best fight for him is an Al Heyman fighter. These two guys won't let the guys fight. They won't. Right. And then you throw in the rivalry between HBO and Showtime right. and it's just a, a mess. Somebody needs to just take a bulldozer, flatten the entire industry and restart it. This is why we need a sports czar. Everything you're laying out. I've been pushing for the concept of a sports czar for 10 like, years in columns. All sports? The person's just in charge of the president. Because we have czars and all these other things, right? We have a drug czar. And we, I mean, you go down the line, there's all these different people who, who are in charge you, who of different... Who would you appoint besides yourself? Because I would definitely support you as sports I would czar. appoint myself. Um, <laughs> and I would have a great... A great group of people around me. And as sport czar, if you were like today appointed sport czar, yeah. Sp- uh, well, first of all, what would we call you, Czar Simmons or Czar? I'd be or- the sports czar. So when you walked in, it would I'd be have a- to work for Trump. So I'd have to, I'd have to reconcile that to some degree. But, but when you walked, in, we we don't call you the sports guy. I still call you Bill. Would I, if you were the sports czar, and no, you call me Bill. You can, I we'd can stay st- on a first name basis. Okay, good. But so- boxing, I would just be like, look, we're blowing this up. The UFC has created a model that actually, for the most part, works. We're emulating this. Um, We're trying to get every up-and-coming boxer to go this way. So the reason the UFC was able to do that was because you didn't have the Bob Arums and you didn't have Oscar De Loja and Al Heyman and all these different guys who they sign these guys young and then they just hoard them and they become assets. Right. And that's what the UFC has been able to avoid. Now, the the problem with the UFC is that, you know, they have... And this is a problem with boxing too. No health benefits, no unions, no real protection. Well, no, no players' association. I mean, right. That's something I've, I've no, always, no rich lawyer fighting if, for them. If you, you know, could, because one way to 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 reinvent boxing would be if the top twenty fighters, um, you know, in in the world. I, I don't, you know, depending upon what ranking. The problem is, there's like eight different ranking well, organizations, a, yeah. but you can pretty much agree on who, just based on money, the top twenty fighters are. If they all, form, if they all basically said we're unionizing or we're going to form some sort of a uh, a fighters coalition, um, and we're not going to fight unless X, Y, and Z happens, you might see some movement there. But, but you would think the big advantage would be speak the same language. Yeah, the fighters literally. So that's a problem. Also. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, you also have. The promoters take so much that you'd think the advantage of starting a federation or whatever and giving the boxers more of the money would actually be an advantage. But I just think it's so crooked and so corrupt that all these different places will throw their bodies in, in front of anything, you know? And well, I... I- so you support my candidacy? 100% I support it. I will do whatever I can do. Can we talk about Shanlin quickly? Absolutely. So I haven't talked to you since... I talked to you on the phone about it, but we haven't talked about it on a podcast mm-hmm. since um, Gary passed. Yeah. Um, did you go to the Apatow? The, 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 no, uh, no, I was out of town. You were out of town, right? We had, we had that um, was one of the coolest nights that, that I spent this decade. I heard. Yeah. It was heard. really, really great. There were, there were over a thousand people there. I heard. Yeah. And it was, it was done the right way. You know, yeah. it was like a celebration, but it was heartfelt and it wasn't, it wasn't false in any way. Um, we had a, we so had how a, did you become friends with him? 
through through um, uh, Bob Dylan's boxing gym. Bob Dylan, you, you know, still has this. Uh, you know, I'm, a lot of people don't know Bob Dylan's a passionate boxer. I mean, he still boxes. And Bob Dylan, the, the Bob Dylan, the world class, famous he, Hall of Fame singer. He's a he's, okay. a he's a singer, song and dance guy. From okay. what I understand, I believe he just won a, a Nobel Prize. Yeah, I've heard. I heard about that. Um, and he had this has a gym in an undisclosed spot in Los Angeles. And, um, I was invited to come, uh, work out there and, and, you know, you never knew who you would walk into at that gym. You literally might walk into Bob Dylan. You might walk into Mike Tyson. You might walk into Oscar De La Hoya. The first time I went in there, I walked into Gary Shandling. And, um, you know, for, for anyone that knew Gary, one of the things, you know, I found so remarkable about Gary you know, we were co-owners of uh, the Wildcard West Boxing Gym with Freddie Roach, and the three of us kind of put that together. Um, and when Gary died, we had a, a service for him at the gym, and that was populated by a lot of, uh, you know, professional fighters, amateur fighters, police, firemen, just just basic folks who had no real understanding of Gary uh, Shandling as anything other than Gary from the boxing gym. Right. They had no idea. They and he must have loved that. They, he like well, he... He, he, he well, ninety percent loved it. He, he still loved talking about his show. Yeah, but he never, <laughs> he never, he never behaved any differently. Whether he was talking to, you know, a young fighter, um, a cop from Santa Monica, or you know, I, Tom Petty would be in there, or yeah. Jerry Seinfeld would be in there. Or, you know, Gary would bring in these, bring in five uh, Tibetan monks. I mean, the the. The eclectic nature of his life is extraordinary, and the common theme was that everybody had their stories. You know, Gary would find a way to get with someone and take them, figure out kind of who they were and what the issues were and what was making, you know, what what was really the dominant issue in their life, and Gary would lock in on it, and he would spend hours. And we had stories from firefighters, cops, some of our young trainers. Gary would call them at 2 in the morning and talk for hours, um, and that became came, you know, his family. And I wasn't at the big service you're talking about, but I'm sure you felt that. Totally. The, the amount, and I'm, I'm sure you had your moments with Gary. I did, the only real moment I had was that time on the, on the plane with that whole trip with you yeah, and just talking first, to him. Yeah. That's the first time I'd ever really had an extended hang with him. And he, he was totally, I could have imagined just us talking to like five in the morning. No, he that was, was, he was a Gary, kind of for that. Gary was an extraordinarily complex thinker. And, um, you know, when, when I was getting flirting with the idea of doing Lone Survivor, Gary kind of cornered me and he said, I read this book and I heard you were thinking about doing it. I read the book. Well, I never told him I was thinking about doing it. So I don't know how he heard that. He went out and read the book and would spend hours talking to me about why it was important to make that film and what that film was about and what brotherhood was about and what real, real love uh, and, and, and team meant in these, these he was so passionate about it and was kind of a, you know, an inspiration to me um, as I was making it, would come and watch the different cuts, was always trying to find a little humor. Yeah. Even in the middle of, you know, 19 Navy SEALs getting killed, <laughs> Gary would bring his own unique 
just brilliant sense of humor and sense of humanity to that. And um, I really do miss him quite a bit. And uh, he he was very close to my heart. He was. And and what what I love is you know we're, we're sitting. Some people are in the studio with us right now that I guess your listeners can't see who are part of that gym community. Yeah. And these guys never saw. Uh, the Larry Sanders show. They never saw uh, Gary. I don't think that they knew that that Gary Shandling was a famous comedian. They just knew him as Gary from the gym. Yeah. And he never, whether he liked that or didn't, he certainly allowed that to be. Um, he could be the most argumentative. Uh, uh, if, he, if he was mad or he got, he was upset about something, he was, a, you know, vicious uh, in his pursuit of what he perceived to be justice. Um, and that was, you know, part of his charm. Um, but uh, I do you think do you, you always hear the word genius get thrown around, usually to people that don't deserve it or don't totally deserve it. Do you think he was a genius? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that Gary had, you know, I'm, I'm all about, like, I just refer to people as having active brain chemistry. Yeah. Some, some people's brain chemistry is a little more active than others, you know, and, um, I have friends that are probably diagnosed as diagnosable as, as manic depressive or bipolar or whatever, you know, psychological term gets bandied around. And I, I say, I don't think that person's bipolar. I just think they're very, you know, um, uh, they've got active brain chemistry and, yeah. and I think, and I don't think Gary was bipolar at all. I think his brain chemistry was, was absolutely uh, uh, un- unparalleled in terms of how complex whatever neurons and endorphins and, and things fly around the brain. I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, there was never, there was never um, a short, easy, casual conversation with Gary. If you walked up to him and decided to engage, you had to be ready for a four or five hour conversation, a two hour phone. It was always a, it was always a one of those phone calls until your, your, your phone starts heating up in your brain and you have to beg to get off. I mean, Gary would, and he would, and he would just keep going. It was, it was almost like a competition. Um, it was, it was a, a, a test to see how much of his brain you could take. And he wouldn't stop until you declared mercy. I'm so mad. I was supposed to have him on a podcast oh. and he lives here. So I was like, oh yeah, we'll do it. We'll never, do it. And it's he, like, it was, but there was never an impetus to do it. <clears throat> And at any point, I, I could have just said, let's do it. This is the week. Well, you, sh- you just uh, think you like, oh, I'll great. do it. Yeah, you I'll do it next been... month. And it just never happened. And it's like such see, a regret for uh, me. You should watch. Um, I think I think it's available on DVD. He did this experimental, I don't even know what you would call it, interview series that he did. One with Seinfeld, um, one oh, with yeah. Tom Petty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one with Alec Baldwin. I remember with Alec Baldwin, I walked into the gym one day and the two of them were beating the shit out of each other in the gym. I mean, like, because Gary was a surprisingly good boxer and he was also just dirty, right? So right. he would, he would, uh, okay, he would, uh, he would, you know, ask for a break or he would, you know, clinch or just basically stop fighting for a second, let you disengage and then just punch you in the face as hard as he could. Yeah. He would, and and you, you knew when you were sparring with Gary, you just basically just had to assume you something. You were going to get hit. Like, yeah, like to ignore the bell because when the bell signaled the round was over, he might pretend like he acknowledged but And him and Alec Baldwin were just, and Alec was not in great shape at that point particular point in his life. So I remember being, being concerned um, 
that both of them are actually having heart attacks when I walked in <laughs> to, to the gym because the sounds they were making and right. and they they fought till they were exhausted, and then Gary started this interview. That's when the interview started. There were, I think, there was blood and sweat and snot and you know just all, every human fluid you could think of. And 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 I don't think Alec had any idea how hard Gary was going to come after him. And Alec had been repeatedly punched in the face by Gary and had to then punch Gary back. And Alec, at the end of the day, is probably tougher. But they did this crazy interview laying on their sides, um, you know, 55-year-old men having punched the shit out of each other. God. And Gary then started the interview. And he did, and, and it was genius, you know, and... and uh, not to use that word, but it was kind of genius. Um, he did one with Seinfeld where they just sat on a bench in uh, uh, Central Park and Gary wouldn't talk. They just stared at him until Jerry started sort of awkwardly to try and make conversation. Yeah, figure yeah. out what Gary's game was. And Gary said he just wanted to uh, you know, manipulate space and time and convention of conversation and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, Gary, Gary um, is missed very much uh, by many, by many. One of the reasons I want to have you on, other than I hadn't seen you in a while, I really liked your movie. I took my kids... Patriot's Day. I took my kids on Christmas Day, 11 o'clock. Wow. Nine How... years old and 11 years old. Wow. Yeah, and I knew it was going to be, you know... Not not really a movie for a nine year old, eleven year old, but at the same time, like, you know, I spent twenty six of the first thirty two years of my life in Massachusetts and uh you know, the marathon thing obviously affected me as it did anybody who ever spent any time there. And my kids have grown up in LA. I I want them to understand Boston better and I just it was important for me that they want to see it and you know, there was there was one part where I had to put my hand over my son's eyes mm -hmm. just to make sure. But for the most part, like they were riveted the whole time, and it really meant something to them. You know, they didn't they didn't know really what happened. Mm -hmm. By the end of it, they were like, they went home, they went, they Googled it, they wanted to find wow. out more about the whole thing. It's really compelling, and I gotta say, like when I heard you were doing it, I was nervous about it. It felt like it was too soon. Um, I wasn't sure it should be dram dramatized into a movie, and. I just felt uneasy about it. I think a lot of people did. I'm sure you felt that, right? It was like, yeah. really, you're doing this now? This just happened. Why yeah. are we making a movie out of this? Yeah, I mean, I've, we certainly heard that. Um, you know, is it is it too soon? And you know, uh, Mark Wahlberg's quick answer was, I, I don't, I don't think it's soon enough. And you know, that was, um, you know, I think a sentiment that I I agreed with in that, um, you know, my feeling. Uh, now, you know, be, being a father like you, and and having a, a son ask me, you know, what what is going on? You know, yeah. What what is what what is this? When when you when you hear about the the shooting in San Bernardino or or in Florida at the uh, gay nightclub uh, in France, um, I was in Paris. Uh, I was in Nice, Bastille Day. Uh, working on a, a film, a different film, when that truck driver drove through right, right in front of our hotel and killed 80 people. The, 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 this new insane reality that we live in where we're no longer shocked when we wake up and hear that somebody blew something up or some group of people walked into a street corner and, um, you know, or a 
a, a school or a movie theater that committed some just horrific atrocity. This this is the new reality. And yeah. what interested me, um, as much as some of the details of the bombing, and you know, because we live in this headline culture where we don't, we just don't have the time to really often go beyond a headline. Uh, we, we, you know, the news cycle is so fast, and the, the hits just keep coming that it's hard for us to take an event and actually look at it. You move on to it. the next one. It's you, like, oh, now this happened. Now correct. I'm thinking about this. And, and and so the more I learned about the Boston, the the response and the and the 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 details of those five days from the right prior, prior to the bombs going off to the capturing of the the younger Zarnayev brother in the boat in Watertown. Well, the, the details I, I didn't know and I thought were fascinating, and I thought that that alone interested me very much in telling the story. But I think the bigger issue was. I think it's very hard to process these acts of terror and to sort of say, you know, this is why it happened. Um, this is how we prevent it from happening. I, I don't know that, that, that it is preventable. I don't know that we'll ever understand why, and I don't know that there's ever a single why. But what I found so fascinating about Boston was it is a look at how we as a community can process and, and, and respond to these acts. And what people saw in Boston was that this absolutely barbaric cowardly just just re really sociopathic action that was designed to terrify and destroy and to to break bonds had a, had really had the inverse effect and the way that community came together and the way that love ended up sort of flourishing um, and these bonds were formed between people who never ever would have met was very affirming and I felt I felt comforting um, and that was a, lot, a a big reason why I think both Mark and I wanted to tell that story um, certainly not to revel in in the horror of that day right uh, and we tried very hard not to to do that you know we believe there's a line of taste that you you can't always articulate but you know when you've crossed it we wanted to show some of that but what we really wanted to show was how an event like that hurts uh, cre creates extreme pain and grief but also pulls people together and we felt um, that was it was not too soon to tell that story and you captured in my opinion you know probably my single favorite thing about Boston which is Boston, everyone in Boston loves Boston, can't understand why anyone would ever leave Boston, and is very protective of Boston. And when this whole thing happened, you know, and who knows, every city is different. But with Boston, you knew that people were going to be like, fuck this, yeah. we're finding this guy, yeah. we're running the marathon next yeah. year, yeah. these guys aren't breaking us. Yeah. But I think, you know, what people, if, you, if you're if you not from New England, the marathon, it's it's literally a holiday for just for people in Massachusetts. You yeah. know, it's, I, it's one of the few Patriot states State. that has its own holiday yeah. and it's this three day weekend and it's the best day of the year and the weather's gotten nice again. And whether you're from there, whether you're a college kid there, it immediately means something. And for somebody to mess with that, four people died. There and, were, there were uh, uh, roughly 30 amputations, right? Uh, leg amputations. And that was one of the most chilling things in the movie is when one of the guys, one of the terrorists says how they should have put it higher. Yeah. It's like, oh man, why didn't we think of that? And yeah. I thought it did a good job of, 
at no point was I, you know, sometimes in movies you root for the bad guys or there's a piece, there's a scene where you're like, oh, I kind of see this movie did not do that. It portrayed them as who they were, but it never glorified them in any way. And, it, and they were villains the whole time, mm-hmm. but not cartoonish either. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was uh, certainly a big challenge. And, you know, I remember when, um, you know, when, when, uh, when Rolling Stone magazine put Joe, Joe, Joe Hart. Sorry, yeah, that was a huge deal in Massachusetts. And, you know, and they, and they chose a photograph of him where he was, he looked like a young, you know, Jim Morrison. He was a very uh, handsome kid. Yeah, he and, looked like a, the, like he's in an indie band that's yes. just about to put out and an album. Jan Warner, the, the editor of Rolling Stone, took a lot of heat. And I, I should have. I can remember being upset about it, and I, I was promoting a film, I, uh, I think Lone Survivor at the time, and I um, had a, a meeting with Peter Travers. I was doing an interview with the film guy from Rolling Stone, very, you know, great writer, yeah. very well Long-time respected. Long-time movie critic. Um, and this was right the week that that, that uh, Joe Harzarnaf was on the cover of Rolling Stone, and I was like, "What? what's the deal? Like, what is he thinking? And Travers talked about the internal... Um, fighting that went on within the editorial department of Rolling Stone that some people people got really angry and some people were all for it and there it was going and, and I remember just not not liking it and feeling it was it was the wrong picture, it was the wrong message. And then suddenly now I'm I'm doing a film and I'm trying to figure out how And you're on the tailwind of that too, because after that happened I think everybody back home was like, Oh now here comes somebody else who might try to exploit this. Well, I think yeah. that you had Wahlberg helps though. Yeah. Because he's from there it and did, but, he gets but it. But just in terms of how we present these two brothers. Yeah. It was a real challenge. And we did a lot of research on them. I met with, um, you know, their, their, um, some of the younger brothers, ex-girlfriends spent a lot of time. The, the older brother was, was a boxer. And I don't, do you, do you know this story? Do you the, know? Um, the, of the, the two that died, the older uh, brothers? Uh, boxer? Uh, yeah, yeah. Are not yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, a somewhat interesting. If you, if you take, if you, if, you look at these two individuals. This wasn't like September 11th, where 19 Saudis, you know, basically snuck into America. Um, you know, Mohammed Atta and his guys and hijacked these planes and then all died. These were two two brothers who were very deeply assimilated into American culture. You know, yeah. these guys you see. Well, Starbucks, one guy's selling pot in college. Was selling pot. Uh, the younger brother selling pot had multiple girlfriends. Was a wrestler. The older brother was a boxer, and his dream was to represent. Uh, the U.S. and the Olympics, I think at 160 pounds, middleweight, was, was by all accounts a very good fighter. And to, to, um, to earn the right to represent the U.S. in the Olympics, you've got to basically enter a tournament. And if you win X amount of fights, you get to represent, the, you get to represent that weight class. He was well on his way in the, through that, to winning those fights. I think he'd won five. He lost a six on a decision. He, he felt he was persecuted. He felt it was an unfair decision that he'd actually won the fight. But because he was a Muslim, oh. he was be- and that set him off. Right, and that led to some people kind of getting to him and saying, "Well, yeah, you, you should come to this camp in in Chechnya and get educated." And that became this radicalization. Th- and then he came back, and he and his brother were off and running. And I felt that there was it, 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 this to, it was interesting to me, but I wanted to make sure that we didn't. I, I don't. 
I, I, I see, I don't consider this, these brothers to have been holy men. I don't consider them to be righteous in any way. I consider them to have been narcissistic. This older brother was embarrassed. Angry narcissist. It, and, and that's it, you know. And so we, we wanted to show some of that, but we wanted to be very clear that we were not putting, uh, we, were not, we were not in any way justifying this behavior or offering any narrative that was anything other than this, these, these kids were sick and cowardly individuals. Was the Wahlberg character a hundred percent based on a real character, or a compilation of different characters? Or so, yeah, I mean that that's been a tricky one, and there've been people that have come at us a bit on the fact that he's a composite, mainly of two. Different... By the way, most movies that do this always end up with a composite somebody. Well, and and there was no single cop. They right. did it all. There were two cops, one named Danny Keeler, one named Bobby Murner. Danny Keeler was there at the at the finish line. He was, what you see Wahlberg doing in the beginning of that film, that was Danny Keeler. And he was the one who, he was the ranking uh, cop at the finish line. He took control yeah. of, of stabilizing patients, running the traffic. He, he was the one that was, you know, on his knees in that blood, helping people. And then there was another cop, but then... After 12 hours, he finally went to bed. There was another cop, Bobby Murner, who was there um, for much of the second half. Got there at the end of the Watertown shootout. It was there when they pulled Johar out of the boat at the end. We kind of combined those two characters. But you kind of have to, right? I I, I mean, if you're going to sell a movie, like... Wahlberg's not taken apart where he's in half the movie and then doesn't get to be in the other half. And correct, and that movie doesn't get made. You know, those are people. Every movie does. Like, All the President's Men is like one of my seven favorite movies. That has composite characters. I mean, well, of course, it's Hollywood. And, it happens. And, and what, what you know, every once in a while we'll get, we, you know, I'll get a critic who's like, well, okay, I really like this film. I think that they this film story needs to be told. But I really take offense to you know uh, Mark Wahlberg playing a composite character. Well. The, if we don't have Mark Wahlberg, we don't have the movie that they like. Well, and also, and, like, then just make a documentary. Correct. correct. You know, and I, I think to to Moneyball is like this, too. I, I just was watching Moneyball again because we did a podcast about it for our Sports Movie Hall of Fame series. And Jonah Hill's character is a compilation of a bunch of different people. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. It's a fake person. His name's Peter Brand. He doesn't exist. So, you know, I think people... People have a tendency to watch movies like this and think every person was the actual thing, and the goal is to get no. the gist of it, right, no. and capture it. Um, it just to me seems like people, you know, so many people have said, you know, given the film really good reviews, will still take a shot at Mark playing a composite character, and I just felt like we were so up. up uh, uh, open about it and out in front we're talking to Billy Evans who's the chief chief of police in Boston now and um, uh, Governor Baker and, and right. Mayor Walsh and every cop we met and said look we're not going to assign stolen valor to, to one cop say we're not going to say there's one cop that really did all this stuff because that's just going to piss off every other cop and fed and you've already got enough issues with, with competition amongst the, the different Boston police departments and the FBI and we're going to just be very transparent about it. And, and how did you, know. you film? So you must have gone back and filmed at what the marathon last year to grab we, some of the marathon filmed, footage. Yes, we filmed uh, at the at the real marathon. Obviously, we didn't we didn't recreate any ex- the explosion uh, at the real marathon. Right. For that, we we built a big chunk of Boylston Street out at a, a, a an abandoned Navy right. shipyard, and I think Weymouth. I'm not. 
And then you restaged the Watertown because that was Watertown, wasn't we, it? We um, Did you use no. We used we used a little bit of Watertown. We used a little bit of Malden, a real neighborhood in Malden. But Malden. then for the actual gunfight, you know, yeah, yeah, that's well because people would say, yeah, you can come shoot in our neighborhood, do the gunfight. <laughs> no, it's not a good we're idea. Like, we're like, you don't understand. They're like, no, we don't care. I'm like, no, you really don't because it's if once you say yes to us coming, that's you know, ten nights. From six o'clock at night till six in the morning of us just blowing things up, right? And you think you might want that in your neighborhood? For, I don't think that's about, flying in Massachusetts. Yeah, until about hour one. Yeah, and you're like, and then your wife is like, uh, "Bill, you, you go go shut them up right now." And one of the things I loved about the movie is I always thought the guy, the Asian guy. Who breaks out of the car? Danny Mengs, the, the just, most one of the most underrated uh, heroes that we've had in the last thirty years, the, and the, you you nailed it perfectly. But like, if he doesn't get out of that car, those guys are on their way to New York, and they're doing more stuff. And I don't think anybody even realizes no. that. I mean, Dan, Danny Meng is is you know I've I've been doing this for a while, and I've had gotten to interview a lot of people as I'm doing research for movies and meet a lot of people. I I have never met. Just a more fascinating, courageous, badass kid in my life. I mean, he's so sweet. He's 125 pounds. He's five foot three, barely speaks English, came here from China, started his own food delivery app, started making money by himself, put his money into this car, this Mercedes that he loved, um, you know, was in the process of dating a girl and these brothers carjacked him and they took all his money. They took his gas. They filled up his car with gas. They loaded it up with bombs. They were headed to New York. They were going to kill him and dump him on the side of the road on the way to New York. And he planned and executed this escape. And which is the most gripping scene in the movie uh, in a movie that has a lot of gripping scenes, but that one is like, but Your body, it, nobody in the theater moves for like yeah. 90 seconds well, during that scene. It's like, you, you just can't think, you know, how, you can't but think, how would you react in that situation? Would you have the courage to do what he did or would you just freeze and well, I think he, he was smart and he weighed the math and he was just like, these guys just exploded two bombs in the marathon. Like, I'm definitely getting killed if oh, I don't get what, out of this what, car. What he told me was, you know, when he was sitting in that gas station trying to work up the courage to undo his seatbelt, push away this gun, yeah. open the door, jump out. He said he knew he had to do, you know, these five things. And he was very scared. And he said, you know, and then he was thinking that they were going to kill him and that this made him sad. And he thought that, that his parents were going to get a call that, that he was dead and he, was, he knew it was going to make his mother and father very sad. He said, I felt very sad. And he said, and then I think that, he said, I, I think that they're going to take my car. And they're going to steal my car. And he thinks about how hard he worked for that car. He says, I think these two brothers are going to steal my car and take my car. He said, this made me very mad. Ooh. And I thought to myself, fuck this guy. <laughs> and I'm like, it was the car. Yeah. And he's like, they the weren't going to get my edge. car. Because he had worked so hard for that car. That car was, you know, was everything to him. It was yeah. his, his, you know, proof of validation for all the hard work he'd gone through. 
And what's cool is if you ever get a chance to walk through the streets of Boston with Danny Meng, 90% of people just walk right by. And then, you know, they don't, they just, they don't know who he is. But every once in a while, a person spots him and, and will just run up and hold him and hug him and cry. And I've seen cops do it. I've seen fire trucks pull over. I've seen women with their children walking and they grab him. And they, but he, he's a remarkable young man. One, you had a couple, I won't spoil the ending, but you had a couple ways to go. One way you didn't go was the night after they caught the second brother, by all accounts, was a great drinking night in Boston. Because yeah. remember they had had the, uh, the shutdown. What's it called? The, where, the shelter in place. Where just everybody had to stay. My Shut dad was like, we can't leave our houses. And then all of a sudden everybody can leave. And Boston just goes out, and it yep. turns into like the Pats just won the Super Bowl, basically, just a huge release and of, uh, a really cool the, night. The, of, apparently, another great experience. Uh, talking to Danny Meng was one, but uh, I got to sit with David Ortiz in the in the clubhouse at Fenway, and it's part of his legacy. And, well, and he told his story because yeah. you know, the, the the day of the bombings, the Red Sox left for a road trip. And he was hurt, so he stayed in Boston. So he was there with his family throughout the shelter-in-place. And, and he talked about what that was like and how his children were scared. And he was scared, and then he was angry. And that when he, he had no plan to speak at Fenway, you know, for that, that legendary speech that he gave. Someone just, they needed someone to say something, so they asked yeah. Big Poppy to speak. He said, I'll say it. And that just came out. It was perfect. And, yeah. It just couldn't, it was the perfect guy, perfect point in his career. And the FCC didn't, uh, uh, they let it go. You know that, right? They could have uh, right. bleeped they it. Let they it let it go, which I thought was awesome. You have to go in a second. So we have to talk, by the way, go see Patriots Day. It's good. Uh, Thanks, Just bro. quickly, every time you're on a pod, I always have to ask you, Friday Night Lights, what's the update? Riggins is building a house in Austin. Kind of. Uh, uh, this is the fictional update, or this is uh, what's Lila, going on in your Lila's head? Lila's on Jane the Virgin this week. Um, Tammy is in Nashville. Uh, Coach Taylor is in Manchester by the sea doing some something. Coach uh, Taylor's gotten a lot of good roles. Yeah, Coach Taylor's. You have a lot it. of people owe you big time. Uh, I can't get Jesse Plemons on the phone. Yeah, that guy's a hot actor He's now. He's doing phenomenal. They're all doing great. I mean... But what's um, that, what does that mean for the comeback show? It's just going to be better. It's going to be better than ever. It makes me so mad that you missed the Netflix window by like five years. Oh, God. Tell me about it. You were like right between these two eras with the perfect show. That would have been the ultimate Netflix, Amazon that, Prime it, show it, it really, that ever was made. From my, from my, where I Plus sit. it would have been 11, 11 episodes instead of 22 the first year. Like you guys are killing yourselves making 22 episodes. I just it's crazy. Feel, I just feel like you, um, uh, that show owes so much to you for the support <laughs> you've given. What did I do? You were just a great champion <laughs> of, the, of the show from the beginning. And I think the show... Has, has maintained this legacy and like the the oral history you did of our show was you know meant meant of the world to us and and you you were the first one to see um uh, lone survivor and we used your quote use my blurb people still to, to, and that tease I think me about that. so you know <laughs> uh, eternally grateful bill and uh happy to see you, you didn't again. answer my question I have no idea. Call. I, it's very unlikely. I can't get anyone. Why on the can't phone. you just get like a four episode? They won't return my phone. They did calls. Gilmore they're all, Girls. They're all big time now. I can't. They I brought can, back Gilmore Girls. They I, can't bring back Friday Night Lights for four hours. I think I can get Amy Teagarden. Let me start with her. 
Amy Teagarden dyed no, her hair. I think I can get her. She's a, she's a brunette now. I'm going to try and get her. You can't get Kyle Chandler and Connie Britton no, for I four can't. hours? I can't, especially Kyle. Netflix is throwing money around like crazy. Let's come up with a new idea. I think he's... I like Sport Czar. Let's just do a show called Sport Czar. Sport Czar will do that, but what's the idea for, for the Friday Night Lights four episodes limited Netflix series that comes out on Friday of Thanksgiving weekend? Because that's a sweet spot. Gilmore Girls was very smart how they marketed that. It was Thursday night, midnight. Everyone's home. These daughters want to watch so it with their moms. I didn't they did that. Yeah, so it was they didn't smart. Market, did, did you see it? I don't watch Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I don't either. So, but so I that, knew people in my life were like, they were more excited about this than Thanksgiving. Gilmore Girls? Nobody in this room was a Gilmore Girls. I'm guessing girl. Alex Salcedo didn't see Gilmore Four hours. I think Coach Taylor is, there's a wedding. Listen, we Daughter's had a whole, wedding. He goes we home for the wedding. We had a whole pitch that it was going to be based on Mike Leach getting in trouble. I remember that. For, you know, allegedly doing something that he Coach most likely Taylor. didn't this do. This is Coach Taylor. Yes. He gets in trouble for something and, he didn't do. And we had this whole pitch for, pitch for to a who? movie. And um, Jason Kadams worked pretty hard on it. Uh, and we're, you know, it's still, it's still ongoing. Well, that was another issue for years. Jason Kadams became a very lucrative showrunner person. J- the Jason Kadams business is a good business. That's a, it's a lot of, I know. All right. People are going to go. Taft, Taft thirds hockey tomorrow night <laughs> against, I believe Berkshire be there. All right. Come back and we can figure out the sports our stuff. Pete Berg, Thank you. All right, thanks to SeatGeek. Buy and sell tickets on your phone by downloading their free app right now. Thanks to BlueApron.com. Get your first three Blue Apron meals for free with free shipping. Go to BlueApron.com slash BS. Thanks to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of their homepage. Type in BS. You get a nice big four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer. That includes postage and a digital scale. Stamps.com, enter BS. Thanks to Channel 33. That's the Ringer's Pop Culture Podcast. That features Bachelor Party Jam Session, The Masked Man, our gaming podcast, achievement-oriented, and brand-new Sports Movie Hall of Fame podcasts like the one we had last week about any given Sunday. Subscribe to Channel 33 and all of The Ringer's other podcasts on your favorite audio platform. And if you want to hear more football this week, listen to The Ringer NFL Show. We have a bunch of good stuff coming up on that podcast this week. I will be back later in the week. Until then, thank you. So